Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host Bryn Edwards. WA Real brings you real and authentic stories from fascinating people here in Western Australia. Stories to inspire and guide you to take action to be all you can be. Today we're going to get into a topic that everyone participates in but doesn't necessarily talk about and so becomes somewhat of a white elephant in the room at times. Today we're talking with sexologist Emma Stewart. Born in the UK and then emigrated to Australia in 2005, Emma specialises in sex and relationship therapy, pregnancy and birthing, and the sexuality of the birthing experience. She has a Master's in Sexology with a professional background in consultancy and education and provides programmes, therapy and workshops within a diverse range of clinical and professional settings. And she currently works within her private practice here in Rollerstone, WA. Emma, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, you like me, uh, born in England yes. and then came to Western Australia. What, what was the pull to come to Western Australia? Okay, this is probably an interesting story. Yeah. <laughs> I never... Um, was it boys? It wasn't boys. Right. It, it, was, it was girls. It was my sister. <laughs> yes. So, um, I had never, never been to WA, knew nothing about WA. Um, and my twin sister wanted to move over here because she'd already um, lived on the east coast and wanted to move across but um, well you know the point system in the UK you have to get a certain amount of points to get to get into the country and she didn't have enough points so um, I did and she said go over I'll come and join you Um, so actually the story is about boys um, because I came over um, waited for her and then she fell pregnant with a yeah a little boy um, and decided not to, to move across so I ended up here for somebody else and then they didn't come over um, but I'm, I wouldn't move no, I you wouldn't move no, what is it you enjoy about living here oh I, I think for for myself it's the, the people um, I really enjoy the people in WA um, I love the culture um, the environment the lifestyle um, it's great for the kids yeah um, yeah there's every, everything for me in WA yeah wouldn't move cool yeah so, what is a sexologist and what do they do? So, Because it's a unique job. It, it is a unique job, yeah. Um, so, sexology is the academic study of, of sex and sexuality. Um, it's, it's certainly not a hands-on experience, right. um, which is often what people interpret it yeah. to be. Um, and it's not necessarily about the techniques of sex. Right. Um, obviously... Um, you'll you'll learn about that in the study of sex, but it's not necessarily how to have the best sex in the world um, right. and what the best techniques in the world are or how to do a great blowjob, um, although right. that's part of it. Um, it's more about the human experience of sex and sexuality. So how our lived experience affects us, you know, the, in terms of like, our culture, society, our physiology, our psychology, mm. um, how all those influences um, affect our human experience of sex um, and sexuality right. um, and the diversity within that. So what would draw somebody to need to come and see you? Oh, so there's, a, there's a 101 reasons that people will come and see me. Um, so there's, there's, you know, the, the basic um, couple therapy. Um, so not basic as in simple but it's in that people come because there's a problem in their relationship and it's usually um one that is centering around sex um, and desire or arousal um, within the relationship so so a lot of people will come for relationship therapy um to address an issue 
regarding that aspect of their relationship. Right. And so that could be addressed through um, communication skills, psychoeducation, finding out more about sex and sexuality and aging and the diversity of sex and sexuality. Um, or it, it could be that we've got differing desires. One of us fancies it, one of us doesn't. Right. Um, and how do we work, work our way through that? Right. So do, do you find in those situations um, that issues in the bedroom yeah. are almost a, like a symptom of things that are going on in the oh, relationship? A- absolutely. I mean, there's lots of reasons. And, and then they become Yeah, there's lots of reasons why there could be issues in the bedroom, you know, from physical reasons to psychological distress, mm. um, but also um, if, if there is relationship distress, if there is issues within how they communicate, how enmeshed they are within the relationship, how distant they are in the relationship, then that does affect intimacy and desire and, and arousal as right. well. So um, it's, it's quite a complex subject, yeah. sexology. It's not, it's not straightforward. Um, there's no one answer fits all. Um, it's a definitely a delicate exploration of that human being, their human experience, um, what, what they're actually going through and how they interrelate with their partner and their world can affect how they have sex, how often they have sex, mm. um, how they feel about sex. Um, and yeah, quite a brave step for a couple. And I'm going to ask you about other reasons. Oh, absolutely, it must be quite a a brave step for couples to present themselves to. Yeah, and it really is. Like sometimes um, clients will make an initial inquiry even two years before they actually come and see me. Yeah, because it's a process for them to actually arrive at my doorstep, and I and I understand that. Um, And you can see very clearly when people do arrive, um, they're very nervous about coming to see somebody like myself you know they may not have been to see a professional regarding this they may not have spoken to anybody including their family friends you know their gp they may not have spoken to them about a sexual issue um and so they're coming you know with trepidation that's Mm. often people's experience um and also often people are quite unsure about what to expect when they come and see a, a sex therapist or sexologist, you know what what are they going to do? Um, yeah, what are we uh, going to talk about? That would be about? my next question. Yeah. What what does a? I'm sure there's not such a thing as a typical session, but what does a typical session? Yeah, that, you're quite right. There is no typical session, but there is you know quite um, quite a clear structure that you try to maintain within the therapy session. Mm. Um, so Just so we're clear, it is a talking Absolutely session. talking session. Yeah. Um, any demonstrations will be me with pictures. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, maybe a model at the most. Um, so it's very much counselling and, and education and psychotherapy. Um, it's really discussing the issue and finding out strategies, tools, mm. um, ways in which we can navigate the issue um, or most, you know, reduce harm to each other and, you know, ourselves. Mm. Um, that's really what, what it's about. So the, a typical session um, would, say say somebody's coming to me for, for an initial consultation, um, would be, you know, we would talk through how therapy would work and um, what their expectations of therapy are. Um, what what they want to get out of the experience, um, we would get some background information about that person, and um, so v- very often it's really important to find out 
about their family of origin, um, what's what's gone on in their life beforehand, historically, um, socially, culturally, where, where they're coming from, so yes. that I can get an understanding of the person, the relationship they have with themselves and others, um, and, and then move on to the issue. So the issue itself may not be touched on for, for some time until we become comfortable, because of course... I talk about sex every day, all day. Yes. But not everybody does. Um, so everybody has to get quite comfortable um, in a session. Um, and then we would look at treatment options. And, and really with sexology, the idea is that the client decides what, what options they would like to go down, what route they'd like to go down. And, yep. and you're there to facilitate that and give them as much information as possible, but not to determine their the outcome of their treatment. Yes. For them to be able to take... A, a very clear role in that um it it sounds almost listening to you that that like couples or others would be presenting themselves almost from i want to use the word pathology or something wrong basis very often people yeah they do they come as if there is something wrong right and um so if i'm understanding your your question correctly they pathologize often something that's very normal Right. Right. So they're, they're seeing it as being something wrong as opposed to a, just a sticking point that they need, what, to get over? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Or, or to, to normalise. Or normalise. So, for example, a lot, a lot of my experiences with couples is that certain things are happening within their sex life that they pathologise, that they make wrong. Right. Um, and they've either done that through cultural programming, um, stereotypes around gender or sex or sexuality or what we're supposed to be like. Yeah. Um, and so they have a lot of guilt and shame and even disgust about how their their body is responding um, without knowing that oh, this is quite, quite normal at this age or this part of your life stage or in terms of, you know, that the... the experiences you're having at the moment mm. you know the penises don't always work if we're psychologically distressed right. um, men are not automatums or robots um, they're you know they're sexual beings human beings yeah um, and so very often a lot of what I do is about normalizing right like, letting people know what's what's normal so so is there almost like a a framework of normal or good that you work against? Um, I would say so, absolutely. And can you give us a rough sort of yeah? So, so for example, yeah. So, for example, um, men and women will often come with regards to like sexual function. So, um, a man may come um, because he feels that he's a premature ejaculator. I'm I'm coming too quick, um, and so he, you know, sits on my couch and starts to tell me about this and and then we investigate a little further and and what he's describing is actually you know perfectly normal you know if he's got a new sexual partner he's oh i've got a new sexual partner i come really quickly the first time we have sex and i'm going that's pretty normal you know that's not that doesn't you're in that height of a relationship and you're super aroused it's super aroused or just that you're not comfortable yet a bit anxious want to perform um yeah. a bit of pressure yes on you um perfectly normal um yeah that may happen the first few times that that's okay yeah. um 
so yeah very often I'm fighting against that that's a very good way of um, describing it um, there's a normal framework or expectation um, which is usually very unrealistic and based on myths created within a within our, within our culture and society so is there is there almost like a sexual journey someone would go through in a in a relationship you know I mean to me the the start of it you know there's the archetypal you're at it like rabbits so to speak <laughs> yes. and, then, and then it sort of chills off a bit I mean can you give us an insight into that over you know first couple of years five ten twenty thirty forty well we we could try and put it into time frames but to be honest human beings are so individual yes. um and unique that we, we don't often always fit into time frames and that's another thing that's quite important to let people know that mm. we don't all fit into these boxes but yeah there's there is definite stages within relationships that have been researched into you know the initial honeymoon or limerence stage of a relationship you know at it like rabbits and you know feeling all those feelings the butterflies and all of that Um, and that usually occurs within relationships but that can often be quite short-lived for some people six to eight weeks for some Um, some people can stretch that out to a couple of years some feel that they can do that for a lifetime Um, so there are definite stages to relationships whether we fit into time spans or specific ways for that to roll out is is probably another um, question. Yes. Um, and some people can move in and out of limerence, return back to it. Um, and it's, you know, a normal biological part of a relationship to have those different emotions, you know, very um, endorphin-based to begin with and then yes. moving to your oxytocins and your pair bonding a bit more settled. Um, yeah. Nature's way of tricking us into having babies. <laughs> Or at least remaining with a partner for some time. Yeah, and th- and that's the stage that comes after Afterwards, the, yeah. the limerence. Yeah. After limerence. Yes. Yeah. So we, there are life stages to relationships. We don't always follow those. Yes. Um, or do it in a linear fashion, um, but it's it's um, something that can be looked into and researched. Yeah, and and it's really important for people to know about. You know, it doesn't mean that I'm not meant to be with him if I don't get butterflies after a couple of years. Um, butterflies could just be a hormonal response. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Super. So, how did how did you get into this? <laughs> what what drew Emma to um, become a sexologist? Yeah, well, it's, that, it was quite an interesting journey, to be honest. I certainly didn't. Um, grow up as a small child going oh I'd love to be a sex therapist that seems like my ideal kind of job Um, I I actually uh, worked in education um, initially Um, I was a secondary school teacher um, and I did that for some time and I became interested in counselling I started working with children um, that were very bright but were definitely booking the system and not not doing as well as maybe they they would have liked to have done. So I started working um, and coaching um, children and I became more and more interested in counselling and hypnotherapy um, and psychotherapy and I thought, oh, I'm quite interested in this and and moved into into that and did further qualifications while I was in the UK. Um, And then when I came um, to uh, having my own children, um, I... As a hypnotherapist, I was like, hmm, must be a way of having this baby a bit easier than, you know, how all the 
everybody talks about and all the books say. Um, and I became interested more and more in hypnotherapy and hypnobirthing. Yeah. Um, and I... Re- reprogramming. Reprogramming um, and... I had, had wonderful experiences in, in my own births. And then um, coming over to Aust- Australia, I, I trained to be a um, hypnobirthing practitioner and, and doula. And I just started working more and more with women and couples and birth. Um, and I worked over the years with probably about 3,500 couples. Right. And, I, and I noticed while I was doing that work that there was so much going on in, in those couples. Um, and so much that I didn't know about. Right. Um, and I was like, I, I don't know how to help these people. And then I started to have clients that were, you know, probably from more sensitive groups um, in terms of like they'd come from um, histories that were quite painful um, with um, incidents of maybe sexual abuse or childhood sexual assault. Um, and I, I really felt ill-equipped. I, I didn't know about this subject. I didn't know enough, certainly. Um, and yeah. so I went onto the internet, as we all do, and started looking for um, qualifications around sex and relationships and sexuality and birth and women's experience and women's bodies um, and, I, and an agency around your body. And I found that um, here in WA, we, we have qualifications around sex and sexuality um, and that Curtin University offers those qualifications. And, and a and not just qualifications, but exceptionally good qualifications. Mm. So um, I, I went down that route, and yeah, it was obviously quite challenging. Um, in what way? In terms of personal growth, um, that uh, you know, I come from being a secondary school teacher um, in education, very mainstream, um, to having a whole different world opened up around sex and sexuality and gender um, and fluidity and finding out so much more about the human experience than I'd ever known. Um, And then delving into that a little deeper with my masters. um, And I discovered a whole different side to myself as well. What were some of the things you found? Um, Well, I I found that um, I definitely had some edges to myself and my and, and own, edges meaning is, is in like I I didn't necessarily understand the human experience um, that I didn't um, fully engage with the whole um, experience of the human being um, because you know in mainstream we don't talk about gender we don't talk about fluidity of sexuality we don't talk about um, different kinds of sex we don't talk about... What do you mean by different kinds of sex? As in, like, the, the, there are so many forms of sex that don't necessarily include penetration, uh, penis and vagina. There, yeah. There's forms of sex which don't include intercourse at all. Such um, as? Such as, you know, um, tantric experiences, whole body orgasms, um, people that choose to engage in sex and sexuality that's non-penetrative um, and... All the different kinks and um, proclivities that human beings have, mm. and I was like, "Oh gosh, I don't know about all this stuff." And that's what I wanted to learn, and that's what I've been learning. Um, and I've found that it's in 
improved my relationship with myself, it's improved my relationship with other human beings, um, it's given me a far more expansive understanding of the human experience than I ever would From have. the viewpoint of sex? Yeah. It's, it completely transformed who I am and what I believe in. And it's, it's interesting you say that because one of, the re- one of the reasons why I wanted to do this interview today was because, as I said at the start, sex is such a white elephant that sits in the room. Like, pretty much most people are at it or <laughs> thinking about it or... <laughs> or want know, to be at it. <laughs> or want to be at it or, or <laughs> you know, I might be coming across as a bit of a boy. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's present, yet we do not talk about it. We don't talk about it. And I, and I think I think it's because coming from, you know, very mainstream environment myself, um, we just don't have the tools. So mm. as a, you know, as a secondary school teacher, I definitely got to do the sex education with my with my classes. And um, I just remember my absolute horror of, you know, putting that condom on that banana in front of a group of very large group of 16 year olds and going oh what am i doing here i have no idea um and it was so biological and so it was all about stis mechanical it was about reproduction um we did a little about relationships um you know there's a lot to strike fear into the heart of kids oh stis stis pregnancy don't get her pregnant make sure you put the condom on right um and 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 all of those things are useful yeah but um now coming from a perspective of of sexology there's so much more to sex and sexuality um and i and i find now that um there's so much more we can talk about in terms of consent enthusiastic consent in terms of boundaries communication relationship um issues and what what you you want your relationship to look like agency and bodily autonomy or bodily integrity um there's so much more that we can teach children now in terms of sex positivity um that was n- never part of the world that i inhabited as as a secondary school teacher because mm, i can see how you know because I, I i see things from a psychological bent from mm my own background of education I can see how um, there's sort of views and implicit views around sex and you talked about family of origin earlier on that that gets passed across because you know you end up with that awkward birds and bees conversation with mum and mum or dad the talk (laughs) or or you get handed a book um, which is my experience um, and then you and met, many others and many others yeah. yeah and then there is um, the conversation at school with condoms and bananas and what have you and it's very sterile mm. it's very and this is when you know your formative to me your formative views and beliefs and assumptions around sex are formed absolutely yet is it the healthy way to start and, and that's very often why we have to investigate family origin um, and w- what what sex education went on within the household and the family um, how how open were people around talking around sex and gender and physiology anatomy um, because that's very often what I experience when I talk to clients is that 
they haven't had a good start. Our formative years are incredibly important. You know, Freud really wasn't an idiot. Yes. <laughs> There's so much that goes on in those very early stages with regards to our attachment um, and our learning and our experience of our body and ourself and others that influences our sexual experience later on in life that our sexual templates really are organised and our blueprints um, laid, laid down within those, those f- first seven to eight years. Mm. They're incredibly important. So clients are often surprised for me to go back to those times. They're yeah. like, what, what's this got to do with you know, whether my penis is erect or not? And it's, it's actually incredibly important. It's everything. It is everything. Yeah. Um, and you know, those very early years where our attachment is formed influences our relationships with with ourselves and others um i'm i'm fascinated by it and i think i'll probably continue to be because it's affirmed again and again through my explorations with my clients of how much it influences um our perceptions of ourself our body um our relationships with us how sex is supposed to be um how we even talk about it mm. you know so if sex isn't talked about within the household um then it becomes you know a taboo subject um which is both a draw yes. something exciting and naughty um but also something that can be suppressive and shameful and and guilt-ridden um, and all of those emotional responses influence our, our body and how it responds. So for a parent listening to this, mm-hmm. what would make a healthy, constructive environment? I think sex is something that's really important to think about when we're bringing up our children. Um, and I don't necessarily mean that we need to tell them everything all in one go. The, yeah. t- the talk is not helpful. Mm. Um, if it's going to be the only thing then it will have to Mm. do but I think what's a much more constructive powerful way of teaching children about sex and gender and sexuality um, is is drip feeding giving them a little bit of information openly, comfortably, easily only as much as they need you'll soon know when the eyes glaze over that that's probably a little too much Um, just to let them know that it's something it's okay to talk about that we can talk about menstruation openly, that we can talk about erections openly. It's a physical response. It doesn't mean anything has to be done. That we talk about um, sex positivity and children's children's sexuality, um, that they will have feelings. That doesn't necessarily need, mean that they need to engage with anybody else with those feelings, but we can normalise those feelings um, and give children much safer parameters that they, you know, exploration can be done with themselves, which is far safer than them looking elsewhere for explorations when they're not maybe ready for that for that time. Mm. So I think it's really important for us to slowly drip feed information and, and accurate information to our children, yes, um, without shame or guilt, um, to be informed. And there's it, a lot out there. Is, is there anywhere in particular where a parent could? Go, yeah, there's a lot of websites like around sex positivity. Yeah. Um, so I don't necessarily need to give a specific one because mm. it, I think it's important for people to find the right one for them. Yes. But in terms of website searches to look at sex positivity um, and raising children, there's mm. there's an awful lot out there um, with regards to that now, um, and there's plenty of books as well and resources around sex positivity and and um, 
more positive ways of engaging with sex education. Um, and I think in some ways we're, we're getting there as a culture and community. Um, mm. There are some fabulous people in WA who do some great work on um, protective behaviours around children and teaching children about bodily integrity. And, you know, it's not it's okay to say no to hugging Auntie Flo if you don't want to. It's yes. your body. Um, yes. So there's some really great resources out in WA and some really amazing, innovative people um, who are coming up with some great programs around women, uh, children and their sexuality. Mm. Yeah. How, just changing tack slightly, how do you see, we, we talked about the fact that sex is still one of these things that we, we don't have um, sort of more real, genuine conversations with mm. those around us with. However, more and more and more with the advent of internet and advertising and what have you sex is like thrown out and in our face all over the place I mean with the proliferation of the internet has come the proliferation of pornography in all shapes and sizes Mm. Um, and now we have you know apps like tinder and where we can hookups and things like this Um, how is that influencing from what you see people's perception of sex because it's always going from it, it, to me it seems kind of strange it's almost like this taboo subject yeah mm. it's out there in the open mm. but we don't have a real conversation about it at the same time it seems kind of perverse to me it, well, it, I think um, yeah perverse is an interesting word um, there is it, there is a dichotomy within our sexuality um, culturally um, and socially that we do have so much out there and porn can be such a wonderful tool um, it can enable people to explore their sexuality, to find out new things, um, to normalise the things that they're interested in. So it, it can be, you know, a wonderful tool. And there's some great porn out there, um, lots of sex-positive porn. And we have to ask what feminist dif- porn. What defines good porn? Um, for, I think again, <laughs> that's a really interesting question. Um, but I suppose from um, perspective um of a sex therapist somebody like myself um good porn is is something where consent is really important so very often you'll see very clear consent um in in some pornography where um there's negotiations before the event about what we're going to do what sort of games we're going to play what's okay what's not okay um what do i like what don't i like so there's there can be some really good models of healthy sexuality um, in some porn where you can see clear negotiations where you can see clear consent where at the end of um, you know the the shoot the the porn scene that people are very obviously comfortable with what's occurred and and happy so you know that could that could be a really good model for people to see Um, being able to see you know certain kinks or proclivities or fetishes being normalized that this is okay you can do this and you can do this safely um, and consensually um, and it's it's you know it's it's healthy thing to do so there's there is good porn right um, where where it has a a structure and um, there there is you know clear guidance um, where people can say oh yeah that's that's a great way of doing that. That's that's great. Look, they're all enthusiastic and they're consenting and yeah. they're negotiating. Um, 
and there's no shame. Mm. This is a good positive thing to do. Um, bad porn. Um, I don't like the word good or bad. And yeah. Any dichotomy. Productive, less productive. Yes, um, but in in terms of how it's influencing our culture, um, pornography is affecting our culture. Um, in what way? Well, there's quite a lot of studies around it, or, or at least they're coming about. Um, you know, there's this whole um, areas of study, like cyber psychology now, where people are, are studying the impact of social media and um, other um, media outlets and um, forums and, and how that's influencing the way we think, you know, the, um, how people are experiencing things like FOMO, um, the fear of missing out, where they have unrealistic expectations of themselves and others um, based on the Instagram phenomena. And, yeah. and porn is having similar effects. Mm. Um, that it is becoming so mainstream that we're seeing its influences, particularly on younger um, groups within our community. Um, there's already been data around you know, how um, sexual behaviours are starting to change, um, how th- more th- you know certain behaviors are becoming normalized or being encouraged we're, we're even you know seeing some negative um physical um things that are occurring within some of um our, our younger parts of um our community in terms of like encouraging younger girls to have anal sex when maybe they're not um they're not necessarily ready for that or they don't know how to do it safely um and and you know there's there's been some instances of like anal tears and things like that in young girls where they're engaging in maybe acts that they they don't necessarily know enough about or, or necessarily are comfortable with yeah um so and and that may it may be because of the what, watching porn or maybe that it's just maybe talks more about um or it's taboo um i think further investigation needs to occur but with it, we are seeing effects of porn and and from a um, viewpoint of a sex therapist the the effects of porn that I see within my clients experiences um, is very unrealistic expectations of themselves um, right. how long they should last um, whether they should be erect every time you know what what sort of things they should be enjoying um, how big their penis should be um, how wet she should be whether she should squirt or not um, you know body image is affected by lots and lots of um, porn that that has you know models or very young people with augmentations um, or or even you know vagina uh, vaginal augmentate uh, you know changes and uh, yeah. like labioplasty and things like that um so we, women are seeing unrealistic models of, like men of, and, women, and and so are men yeah so that can affect self-esteem and body image and expectation of yourself and others yeah i guess if you continue seeing this external message and source of what things should be like mm. if you view porn to be should be like then yeah, that can impact and influence and shape thoughts and behaviours at all ages, I suppose. Absolutely, and and if you're watching a particular type of porn um, and it doesn't resemble your partnered sex at all, um, then that can also cause conflicts and changes in desire and changes in physical response. Mm. So there's, I think porn is an enormous area of investigation um, that 
it's still very hotly debated within sexology. Um, you know, even the subject of porn addiction. Does it exist? Doesn't exist? Mm. Um, is, there a, is there a such a thing as porn addiction? Or are we just pathologizing um, something that can be healthy? Um, yeah. That, is this just a stress relief for some people? Or is this an actual addiction? It's still, we still have a lot of questions in sexology. And that, I suppose that's what's so exciting about it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I suppose the porn addiction is interesting. You know, if you see a film like Damage or something like that, where he, it, the guy can no longer connect in a relationship, mm. he's stuck with his computer or, or with a prostitute. Yeah, and I mean that is somebody's lived experience. I definitely hear those stories where people are finding that they're disconnecting from their partners or or from from women. Um, they find it difficult to engage. They are spending a lot more time in front of the computer. Um, but I also hear stories where um, they're able to do that in a perfectly healthy way um, and it relieves stress um, and gives them you know, ideas and thoughts and fantasies that, that are healthy and, and positive. Um, so I think it's something, again, we shouldn't generalise about Yes. It's important to look at the individual experience and how they respond mm. to stimulus. Um, um, that we're far too unique and individual for for a generalisation to be made. Yeah, I suppose yeah, it's interesting to look at it from an individual point of view and ask yourself. Certainly, if you're a listener here, mm. you know, what is there shame in this? Are you investigating? Are you not? Have you been sitting in front of the computer a bit too much? Should you turn back to your partner? Mm. Um, and just rather than sticking the layer of shame over it because it's come from our family of origin, yeah. sit and look at yourself and what is the drive and where are you going? Mm. Recognize that and see where it's going. Yeah. Is this just a healthy mechanism for coping with stress? Or is there some compulsivity and discomfort in here? Mm. Yeah. And it's the same with sex. Um, and you know, sex, sex addiction. Yes. Again, the addict word. Um, is this something that I just do because it's a coping mechanism? Do I have sex with multiple partners because I feel you know driven to do it, and I but I feel a sense of shame every time I do it, or do I do it and it helps me relieve my stress and get on with my day, mm. and that I have positive experiences? That's interesting. Then, so where where is the I'm going to say boundary, but where is that? Where's the difference lie between you know sitting in front of the computer and 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 masturbating or or having been compelled to have sex with lots of people against sex as an intimate act mm. between two people that all of a sudden you know just sitting and listening to you here it's like oh, now we've got a range of uses for sex yeah and, th and that's really healthy that sex isn't just put into a box oh sex should look like this because lots of people have lots of different experiences of sex and if we put things into boxes where do they go in those boxes um that there's you know so many different um expressions of sex and sexuality and gender um that how is it possible that we can put people into these boxes does sex need to be an intimate experience with two people or can it be a casual experience with four um is is there anything negative about that well if everybody's consenting enthusiastic and happy about the experience of course it's a positive experience 
So it, it's mm. it's starting to break down those small boxes and looking at the human being and their experience and their lived experience yes. and how they feel about it and how their partner or partners feel about it. Um, that, which is, seems, you know, is, is it just for fun? Is it okay that it's just for fun and pleasure? Mm. Of course. Um, is it okay if it's for pro- procreation? Of course. Yeah, functional versus recreational. It, is it okay that we, you know, salve an argument? With Sorry? Salve an argument with with sex. Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, the Make-up so- sex. Make-up sex. Yeah. <laughs> um, Make his day better sex. Yeah. Make her day better sex. Um, is is that okay? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating, actually. It's just open up. You talked about sex as part of the human experience. Mm. And and coming into this, I was sort of like thinking, yeah, there's, like I just said, there's, there's functional and recreational. Mm. And, but then, yeah, how do you... So for somebody who spent time looking at this, do, do you see sex as part of the, the whole human experience? Absolutely. And that doesn't necessarily mean penetrative intercourse with another person. Sex can be with yourself, can be an expression of self, and doesn't have to have anything to do with penetration. There's so many different forms of sex. Mm. Um, you know, somebody might choose to have sex while wearing their high heels and never touch their, their clitoris. There's so many different forms of sex and sexuality. Um, you know, and, and some people choose to express their, their sex and sexuality without desire and arousal. It's, there's a different form. You know, some people um, are a- asexual. Um, we, we have so many different expressions of self. Um, and it's really important to, to know all about them and to see them as all valid and important and that they are a lived experience of an individual. Um, they don't have to be that frame, in that frame. Mm. Do you um, research and interview uh, or investigate further any philosophies from like Eastern and Orient, Oriental yeah. type countries with yeah. chi and energy flow and stuff like that? I certainly have read about it. I think it's important to read about all different um, like cultural experiences of sex and sexuality and to have some understanding of those. Um, not you as... mentioned the, the different types of sex and you mentioned tantric earlier on. Mm. Certainly I, I've read stuff about you know, chi and energy transfer. I wondered if... You... It's not necessarily something that I might do within therapy um but it would be an avenue that i would encourage people to investigate if it's something that interests them i think there's so many different forms of um interest that it would be foolish to to negate any um and so i think each each like um culture brings its own norms around sex and sexuality and they they all play a part within different individuals lives so i think yes absolutely it's something that people could explore um and can be very beneficial for some people and not for others yeah so it's it's knowing that there should be an investigation of one's sexuality and that there's so many avenues that we can go down um, and that it's, it's part of my job as a sex therapist to enable options. This is something you can try. Or this is, you know, there's this workshop here. Or this lady does this. Or this guy does this. Um, there's so many individuals involved in sex and sexuality within our community. 
of so many different types that people really can, you know, have scope for exploration. And is this the is this what you learn when you go and do a master's in psychology? <laughs> I was, that, I this was, open-mindedness to go and investigate further beyond the actual yeah, masters it, it's itself. very much an, an encouragement into the non-binary right. that we don't need to move into dichotomies and rigidity that fluidity within the human experience is, is something that is, is key, paramount that we can move um, between different interests to different uh, relationship structures um, we can move in and out of cultural norms that the and that's very much encouraged within sexology is that more expansive view of the human experience that there doesn't need to be binary male female man woman um, monogamy non-monogamy there are so many other spheres um, that we can investigate. Mm. So yeah, absolutely. That expansion and broadening of our understanding of sexuality was very, very important, both in my postgraduate and my master's. If you look across Western Australia, um, what um, what are some of the things that you would like to see or if you can make wave a magic wand what would what would help us as a state to um let's say improve our relationship with sex i think there's there's amazing groups and communities within wa that are already doing that um such as such as in the lgbtqi community um there's so much going on with uh young people um with people um, who are determining their sexuality with people who are determining their gender we have amazing groups regarding um, gender sexuality um, being queer there's so much out there in terms of resources um, groups facebook groups forums there there's access to counseling around sexuality even for quite young people mm. um here in in wa but there's also what about less young people and, and for and for yeah mm. older groups as well you know there's there's some great resources for seniors as well within the lgbtqi community um which previously we we hadn't had wa is actually in, incredibly inclusive um in to, terms of the groups um and uh resources mm. available um and you, you can easily find them on the internet if, if it's something that you're you're interested in but also in, in wa there's not just um public resources but there's also a lot of private um groups and and um organizations with regards to sexuality in terms of the kink community um in kink meaning kink is in, is in like um oh, that's, a, that's a whole big, big yeah. topic as well so in in terms of people who have particular proclivities or interests whether it's in bondage or um bdsm um or whether they want to incorporate some tantra with some bdsm there's there's in there's in there's incredible groups that are open um, w within the community in, in WA, whether you want to learn to um, do some shibari, some rope work, um, and tie up your partner, 
right. So I hope your partner, you want to do that beautifully. That there's groups in WA that you can investigate that with safely and and well. Um, and there's groups where you can um, investigate, you know, uh, non-monogamous relationships. Um, there's meetup groups for people who are in polyamorous or open relationships or non non uh, monogamous or monogamish um, relationships. There's so much out there. Mm within WA it's an incredibly expansive and inclusive community which you don't necessarily think of when you first think of WA no you, you off the top of your head you think it's quite conservative yeah. and closed and but that that's you know there is space for exploration here in WA it's, um I do you know as I said at the beginning of our interview um I love the people of WA because they are so interesting in terms of how open they can be Yes. Um, there is, um, you know, an availability of resources um, for people of all different descriptions. Where, where would somebody, let's say, midlife person in a relationship, um, because the, the topic, the, the areas you've spoken to, um, they're quite specific, and and you know, the yes vote and everything, it, it's been very much mm. in the media, and so. Um, it, it's almost, it's now become more um, socially acceptable to talk about being gay or lesbian or whatever. Um, but if you were just a, like your run of your mill, middle class, 40 year old person in a, in a 10, 15, 20 year relationship or et cetera, where, where would you go from that? In, in terms of like... Of, ex- of, Exploration. Exploring or and improving your relationship with sex and your partner. So, so I mean, obviously, the the internet, books, resources mm. can can be a space to explore. But I think probably the first thing to do is to explore yourself, and that's what most people don't do within a relationship. They focus on exploring their partner, or they focus on exploring other people, or they focus on exploring the internet before they even explore themselves. Yes. They have no idea what they like, what turns them on, what they fancy, what they don't fancy, what bit likes being touched, what bit doesn't like being touched, how it likes to be touched. Mm. Um, And that, I find, is usually the first step. How much have you actually explored yourself, your own sense of who you are, and your own sense of your sexuality and what you might like. Um, and that's very often people are quite surprised by that response because you know, they'll talk about sexual desire and whether they fancy their partner and, and they say, well, how's your relationship with you? Like, oh, what do you mean? Oh, how often do you touch yourself? How often are you exploring yourself? Do you know what you like? Do you know what you don't like? Oh, and, and so it's interesting how we very often externalise and look for interests outside of ourselves before we've even done mm. any self-exploration. Um, and that's so important to find out mm. about ourselves before we engage with others. I think one of the things I'm finding by doing more and more of these podcasts and looking at different avenues is, is this theme of come back to yourself, to understand yourself. Not before, but at the same time as exploring the external world mm. at the same time. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really important step to take. We often move very hastily towards externalisation before we have a, an understanding mm. of ourselves. And playing by life scripts and then getting to a place 
of expectation and achieving that and then sitting there and going it's not quite as fulfilling as I thought no yeah so I think it I'm, I'm glad that people are coming to that with your podcasts because um, I think it's something we want to encourage from a very early age um, for children to explore themselves first who are they what do they like what are their boundaries what do they not like um, and for them to be able to talk about that and articulate it um, and let the world know um, before we, they move to externalisation and exploration of others before they even know themselves. Hmm. So when you decided to become a sexologist, what was the impact you wanted to have? So I think primarily the reason I, I went into sexology was that I, I wanted to help others that I was working with couples and particularly women in their birthing experience. Um, and I, and, I've, and as I said, I, you know, I, I wasn't equipped to yeah. deal with certain parts of that. Um, and so the, the impact that I would like to continue to have is, is to help, help others navigating their experience of themselves and their world and to make that a positive, positive experience. Whether, whether that is harm minimization or whether that is showing them options um, or ex- exploring what, what fits them best. Mm. Um, but, but also, I suppose, in terms of impact, the, the, my main interest is, is probably around um, women's sexuality um, and women's sexual response. And, and that was very much where my master's went mm. um, that I was focusing on women's sexual responses um, that was I, your thesis that it? was my thesis yeah so my thesis was on um, female ejaculation and women's experience of that um, and, and again a real focus of my interest is the lived experience of human beings not what people say we should be or what the books tell us we should do um, or what society says we should be doing or how it should be and how it should feel but what what do actual human beings experience and I suppose my impact is that I want to listen to real stories from human beings find out what their story is not what my story is or the, the story that I want to impute upon them but what is their story and um so my impact is is less about um, myself, although it is an exploration of myself at the same time, but more about um, enabling others to find out more about themselves and for me to learn as well at the same time about the human condition and the, and the um, sexuality of us as a human species. And then from that, to let other people know, yes, as much as as much as I am able to go. Ah, oh, that's such an interesting story. That's such a good, you know, um, piece of information you've handed me there. Can I let other people know that? Can I pass on that information? Can I expand on that? Mm. Can can we start to demolish those myths, those unrealistic expectations? Can I normalise for people what their experience may be like rather than what they think it should be like? You know, so for example, female ejaculation. Very often, um, partners of of women who can ejaculate assume that it's an orgasmic experience that's pleasurable. And so, as soon as it happens, he or she sees it and goes, "Oh, she's she's come! It's great, amazing!" Uh, and they stop playing because you know that's the orgasmic response. 
but that's not necessarily what women are telling me in their stories um, they're telling me that you know sometimes you can just press the right place and it squirts out and that's what happens but it doesn't feel great in fact it just feels like I want to wee um, I'm not having an orgasm and then everybody just stops playing right and so there's a, the difference between ejaculation and orgasm yeah and so that wouldn't be garnered if I hadn't spent time spend listening and mm. exploring with women what their actual story is rather than what we assume it to be Mm. Um, it probably ties into something you mentioned quite early on in this about the whole body orgasm mm. exactly we have so many different experiences we can have so many different orgasms we can have so many bodily sensations um, we can orgasm or not orgasm but it does that mean we don't have any pleasure or experience um, no there's lots of in-betweens Hmm. So I think it's really important to investigate those in-betweens and to normalise them. So it's, the, the thing that's coming out to me at the moment is almost like the it's almost like a celebration of being in this physical body and and um, all the great stuff it can do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm not talking about you know swimming to a rottenest or doing an Ironman or something like that, which is obvious physical like sport exercise. Hmm. This is actually just being quite still maybe or maybe not and and just enjoying how it works and your particular body or it is it's a it is a celebration and exploration of of the body however that may be um because there's so many different types of bodies mm. too um and so many um people have you know um different experiences of their bodies whether that's um a mental psychological experience of their body or whether it's a physical experience of our body you know our body changes throughout our life stages um, and our body may change um, through injury or surgery um, you know we're all born differently um, we have different abilities we have different um, experiences of um, mobility or um, a, um, understanding of our, our gender within our body there's so much variation that it's in, it is definitely a celebration of all of those variations that we can explore ourselves and our sexuality however we might be mm. um, and all of those can be celebrated and there's a journey for everyone yes and everybody has a right to that journey yes I like that going back to your impact and what you were saying before um, you've obviously turned this into your business mm. now um, how how's how's that little journey been in terms of coming out of the masters and setting up the business? I mean, how do you how do you how do you market yourself as a, <laughs> as a sexologist? Yeah, how do you get clients? So, um, I mean, luckily I had been a therapist for quite some time, mm. um, so I I already had m much of that organised, and you know, in, in terms of the business side of things. But in terms of marketing, yes, that's been an interesting journey because, of, of course, with something like sex and sexuality, when when you first come out there as a sex therapist, that most people are like, well, what does this mean? Mm. You know, what what do you do? That's you know, one of the first questions uh, I ask you. Yeah, well. you know, um, and very often I'll still get email inquiries like, what sort of therapy is this? You know, can can we can will there be touch? You know, can do we get naked? Um, will you be touching me? Will I be yeah. touching you? Um, is it like that faulty 
Tao is clever. <laughs> so, um, it's in terms of marketing, it, you know, I had to be very clear with regards to what I do. Yes. You know, this is talk therapy. Um, you know, I'm somebody who's coming from an academic background. Um, if if you you know if you need somebody that way you, you want to be naked and touch and do touching, then you know there are people that can help yeah, you. That's not me. But that's not me. Um, and I certainly I'm not going to shame you for that. And I'll I'll even help you with you know where to go and what what internet site to look at. Um, but in terms of marketing, I had to be very clear about what I did. That this is this is talk therapy. It's counselling, psychoeducation, um, psychotherapy. Um, that we're using sexological techniques. So we'll be talking through exercises, and then you'll do them at home with yourself yeah. or your partner or partners. Um, and so once that was that was clear, and um, it was very very easy to find the 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 clients that that were going to come to me and it was easy for them to find me as well um so that 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 was all that needed to be done clear parameters this is why i do um and in terms of my modalities because i also use hypnotherapy and an nlp mm. there will be you know clients that will be interested in that and then they go oh yeah i want some hypnotherapy oh yeah this person does it around sex and sexuality oh there's not too many um mm. Niche, yeah, people that, that do that, um, and I think it's important to include you know a variety of modalities for people to access their journey. Um, that it's you know it can be incredibly powerful to use something mm. like NLP or hypnotherapy um, with with a with a client who's got a blockage around sex and sexuality because so much of it is within the subconscious, within those formative years, within those very early blueprints hmm. um, where you know hypnotherapy has such an impact so to go back to your question about how how did i start that journey um i i don't know if there was a start right i think it was just a movement through initially working as a you know counseling coaching using hypnotherapy with children then moving into birth work and working with women and then oh sexuality it was more an evolution, a rolling on um, in terms of my business as well. It was just an, an add-on, as it were. Um, but then, of course, I became far more interested in sex and sexuality. It's, I would say, definitely engulfed the <laughs> majority of my being. Yeah. Um, and so I think, I, I think that's been part of my journey as a therapist as well. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sitting here listen and watching you talk about it you're obviously very excited and, totally. and passionate about it. <laughs> how has your journey as a therapist changed in terms of you know as you've learned and gone along or what have you learned about yourself and, mm. and, and things like that I've, I've learned so so much from people around me I learn from my clients continuously I learn from other therapists so I have very clear communications with quite a large number of other therapists involved in the field um, within counselling, within hypnotherapy. Um, I've learned um, so much from my supervisors. So as you know, as somebody who's a clinical hypnotherapist, I, I have, you know, it's very important that I have 
supervision. So I had supervision with um, supervisors that are qualified in hypnotherapy. But I also, um, I'm probably my most important um, part of my journey as a therapist is through my supervision with um, the Society for Australian Sexologists, with SAS. Um, they are, you know, an incredible group of people that have such a clear knowledge and understanding. Um, so, in terms of the, the the question with regards to my being a therapist and what I've learnt is that yeah yeah um, I would say that the most most I've learnt is from clients and other therapists yeah and it's and it's changed me. Um, in I've, what ways? Such such. Um, um, experiences with, so, with such a broad range of, of clients because um, it's really putting yourself out there isn't it? absolutely and it, it, it's personal humility is, is so important that I will learn from them as much as they will learn from me that they are there to you know tweak any curves that I, curveballs that I might need to work on they give me areas of thought um, they're like, oh, I never thought of that before. You yeah, know? Um, like a physiological response to what you're hearing. Like, yeah, Ooh, what's, what's yeah. that? What's that about? You know, um, I'll think about that afterwards. I'll think about it and I'll go research it and I'll find out more. That um, a lot of my work includes reading enormous amounts of articles and books. Um, I'm constantly reading. Um, often sparked by a client with, you know, oh, I've got this, you know, this this disability, or I've got this genetic variation or this has come up for me or this physical response has occurred for me or I'm taking this medication I need to go and find out about those things so it's a continual learning process and my supervisors enable me to do that mm. and of course you know as a therapist you make mistakes you know you make big mistakes mm. um, and there will be quite significant failures and therapeutic failure is definitely part of your journey how do you deal with that I think you you deal with it as a human, which is that you go, oh, what did I learn from that experience? You know that, of course, it won't always be successful. There will be many opportunities where I can help people. There will be many opportunities where I can provide normalisation and education and strategies and tools and techniques. I can do that, but also there may be times where I, I won't hit the nail on the head, where I won't be able to investigate that as effectively as maybe um, was needed but also that maybe that person's not ready for therapy hmm. maybe that it's not time um, maybe I'm not the right therapist and that's okay yeah that's okay um, because I, they, they will learn something from that experience about what's right for them and what's not right for them um, and I will learn from that experience Ah, that's something that you need to work on him. So if we look to the next five or ten years, mm. what does the future hold for Emma? What's what does what does success look like going forward? <laughs> success. Um that's an interesting word, success. Um the future looks looks to me um very, very much as it does at the moment. Um I'm very happy with the work that I do. Um, I have amazing clients and I every new client I, that comes my way um, has has been such an amazing learning experience um, so I'm hoping for very much of the same 
I'm very, very much interested in continuing my work with female ejaculation and investigating women's sexuality. Um, I'd love to continue that research. Um, I'm currently working on a book um, on premature ejaculation for um, men and their partner and all partners. And that's something that I really would like to finish at some point um so i think that would be a good focus i think men's sexuality is you know has has been explored very well um i think there's still room for putting all the bits together um and i'm i'm hoping as well to continue my work with the hypnotherapy um and help to to train others um in hypnotherapy as well so there's a lot that i'm looking forward to um, in terms of success, I, I very much feel I'm in a space where I want to be. Um, so I'm just hoping, hoping for that to continue, really. Yeah, right. finding out more, learning more. If you could go back to speak to Emma at the start of her journey, uh, when she decided to become a therapist, mm. and before she's embarked on it, what piece of advice would you give her? <laughs> just keep going, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be good. Um, yeah, it will be a roller coaster. You're going to have to change and shift a lot. Um, you're going to have to bend your edges um, and, and learn more about humans and their experience. And, and that's okay. Um, and it's going to be a very rewarding journey. Yeah. So I, I just give her some advice to keep going. This is going to be good. And for somebody out there who's considering becoming a therapist, what mm. piece of advice would you give them? To, to really do their research around um, getting a good solid base to, to find what sort of therapist they want to be do they want to focus on counselling do they want a few modalities um, I think it's really important to find the right people for you in terms of giving you that solid qualification basis whether that's in counselling um, or psychotherapy um, and w what sort of approach you want to take. Um, and, and to really get your network of all the therapists around you, that there's so much knowledge here in WA. There's, there's incredible people um, within you know, the, the field mm. um, and that we have so much to learn from each other. Um, so... I think I would encourage them to get a good, solid basis, um, whether that you know um, that's in terms of theory or um, strategies that, that that is garnered. Um, so important when it comes to the journey of dealing with human beings, we we do need a clear understanding of psychology, um, a clear understanding of behaviours, um, a clear understanding of, of cognition. To, to be able to be an effective therapist, um, to understand about families of origin. Yes. Because if you don't, if you don't have that grounding, where do you, you need to work from the ground up. Yeah. To get an understanding of that human being. Um, and that, you know, the, the model that we use in sexuality is the biological, the social, the cultural, the physiological, the psychological. Um, there's, there's so much to it. Yeah, we need that grounding. Um, and we we need our mentors as well. So, if someone's listened to this and they want 
to come and get in touch how mm. can they find you so normally most people find me through through the internet yeah so through my website um stuart therapies um and that's usually the, the best way to to get hold of me yeah super well emma thank you so much for taking time to talk to me tonight. no no you're really welcome it's been um an absolute mind and, and, and perspective opening <laughs> conversation even for well not even for me for me <laughs> particularly and, and I'm pretty sure any of our any of my listeners will will uh, be given so much to think about oh great if you actually sit and think about what we've talked about in mm. terms of the role that sex plays within our human experience celebration of being in our body um how our past and our family of origin plays into it and how it closes things off or opens things out and um yeah there's just so much to think about oh there is yeah yeah, i can't thank you enough for today no no i really enjoyed today thank you very much thank you for your time cheers (laughs) (laughs) would you like a glass of water